Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. On this episode, I sat down with Katie Troyer, and she is a really cool lady. I met her in Sarasota, Florida when I was on my trip there, and she is formerly Amish, currently little person, also a photographer. Um, She's very funny, very wise. Uh, She grew up in the Amish community and in her early 40s um, left the Amish church. However, she still uh, is a photographer of the Amish and Mennonite life. Her website, pinecraft-sarasota.blogspot.com. And of course, I'll have a link to that on my Hey Human podcast website. But on that site, she uh, has her uh, photography. It's quite beautiful. The Amish don't like or believe in, well, I mean, they believe in it. They know it happens, but they don't like having their photos taken. They believe it's prideful. And yet they let Katie, maybe because of her background of being Amish, um, they let her be a part of their lives and take photographs. And so Katie, because of this, um, has single-handedly taken more photographs of Amish and Mennonite people than anyone in the world. Um, And they're really, really stunning photographs. Uh, She was very kind. I was told sort of a direction to go when I was in Sarasota to find somebody Amish because I really wanted to speak with somebody uh, from that faith. I don't know very much about it other than what I've seen on documentaries, which, you know, Katie will tell you those documentaries aren't very accurate. Um, So I wanted to sit down with somebody who for, for real, for realsies, had had the experience of being Amish. Um, anyway, I spoke with a lovely man, uh, and he, uh, pointed me in the direction of Katie and I knocked on Katie's house door. She opened it and we made a plan to sit down and talk, which I thought was incredibly gracious of her. Uh, not everyone will (laughs) be so kind to a stranger knocking upon the door saying, tell me all everything about your life. Anyway, she was great and we had a wonderful conversation and I'm really looking forward to having y'all hear it. Um, the usual stuff, if you are happening upon iTunes in the Hey Human section for the podcast, please leave a review, rate it. It would be wonderful if you did that. I'm on all of the social medias under Hey Human Podcast, so Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and um, also, obviously, the website is heyhumanpodcast.com. Please feel free to email me, Susan, at heyhumanpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you. And I'm trying to think of anything else interesting or exciting. I'm in Los Angeles recording this in a hotel room right now, so it may sound a little different than my usual preambles. It's a quote-unquote debtor room. So anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and hope you enjoy Katie as much as I did. Uh, She's really fantastic. Here we go. Hey guys, one last thing. Um, I'm in a Starbucks right now, and I just remembered that I forgot to mention the first 15 minutes of this episode, Katie's air conditioner was blaring full blast, and it occurred to me to turn it off. (laughs) So the beginning of the episode, you can hear the air conditioner, and about 15 minutes in, it shuts off, and everything becomes a lot easier to hear. So bear with me on that. Okay, here we go. Hi, Katie Troyer. Hi. How are you? (laughs) I'm just fine. Thanks for being on, excuse me, Hey Human Podcast. I appreciate it. I was a stranger come to your door, then uh, you were very kind to not only open the door, but agree to talk to me. <laughs> so that's good. 
says a lot. Um, you probably never met a stranger or something. Well, not in the last 15 years. Yeah. No. Yeah. But usually I, if somebody wants to come and ask questions, I, I say yes because, and especially since that, uh, those TV shows were out of Breaking Amish. Oh, yeah. And so much untruth. Oh, really? I'm going to scooch the mic. They were here in Sarasota. They were trying to to make up. And I watched the the shows. Yeah. Do you feel like they were trying to just find salacious content to make it more interesting for people? Yeah. And trying to make the Amish look as bad as they can. I can't imagine trying to make Amish people look bad. (laughs) They seem like (laughs) their whole essence of being is... It was former Amish that left. Some leave bitter. Oh. And some... Right. Don't. Like any religion? Yeah. 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 Sure. So, you were raised up in the Amish community? Yes. In Sarasota or somewhere else? No, up in Ohio. Ohio. Up in Ohio. Okay, and how old were you when you left? Okay, I, it was in 1990, and I was... Born in 1952, so okay. I'm not quite sure how old that makes. Around 40. I'm not good at math either. <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And what? What? So, growing up in, the, from what I know about the Amish, growing up in the Amish community, it's a very tight community. And then at 16, they allow you to make the decision whether or not you wish to be baptized in the faith. Is that correct? Uh, I might have that all I wrong. Mean, it's all based on the documentaries well, I've seen. So. But, knows. Right. But what they call, what the Amish actually call at the age of 16 is that, okay, you can be with the young people now. Go out and be with the young yeah, like people like, like your own age and yes. go experience what it's like to be a teenager. I mean, just be together and do things. And it, so it got called Rumspringa, which means in literally running around. Uh-huh. And it's also the, the dating age for most of them, but making their own decisions or I don't know. I mean, the, the thing is, their parents did that thing, like at the age of sixteen, their grandparents did, and it's just more of a tradition. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them, you know, what it's okay if the children, you know, decide not so much if they want to stay Amish, not want to stay Amish, but what they decide is let's have some fun. And fun means getting drunk or going to the movies or buying a vehicle. It's basically not asking their parents' consent, but just doing what all the other young people do. And most of them, it's just a period of a number of years and then they find a marriage partner mm-hmm. and they decide, okay, I'm going to go Amish or not, let's go Amish or not, let, or not. And if they want to go Amish, they put those things away, quit doing it, and be baptized in church. Because you have to be baptized in the church to, in order to have an Amish marriage. Ah, okay. Ready. Yeah. But so, a few of them say, oh, I don't want that stuff. 
Do you have to marry someone within the Amish faith to be in the Amish church? Yes. You do? Okay. I mean, uh, there, a few have tried, you know, people have attempted to join the Amish, uh -huh. but absolutely very few of them yeah. make it. Well, I imagine it would it'd be a lot to learn in a short amount of time considering, you know, generations of understanding. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's understanding the determine because that's what we have in, in church and then our Amish dialect mm -hmm. and it's if you're not a few people that make it are the ones that are easy to pick up a language mm -hmm. and they want the culture so here and there there are some that make it less than one percent. Mm. Mm -hmm. So you, did you do the going around when you became a teenager? No, I didn't because I didn't fit in. I was born a little person. Mm -hmm. So I was never, and then that's, that's one thing. Everybody is so sane. And if you're even born different, mm -hmm. or you act differently, you don't fit in. So is it a a conscious uh, ostracization, is that even a word, you know, do you get ostracized because you're different or do you think it just happens the way humans are, where they look at somebody different and they think, oh, I don't really get that, especially in a culture that is so sane. Both. Both, Both of those. Uh-huh. Are there many little people in the Amish culture? Is it genetically, uh, is that a... In Ohio now, yes. Okay. But when I was little, there were not many. Okay. So now it's... It's much more accepted. Mm -hmm. They intermarry. They have children. Some of them, the partner is tall and the other one. But back when I was, there was, I know of two boys or two men. And then about less than a dozen wow. girls. Okay. But now, it's, the count is way past 50. Yeah. But it's all that genetics. Because I'm actually seventh cousin to myself. Your seventh cousin to yourself. In more ways than one. Okay. So do you think that's why you're a little person? Do you think the yeah. genetics somewhere? Yeah. Okay, interesting. Because the, each partner has to have the genetics. Yeah. Basically. It's a recessive gene? Yeah. Yeah. The, the genes. Yeah. Okay. So that certainly brings up the question, when you have such a community, I imagine a lot of cousins end up marrying each other sort of like in England or something where the blue bloods all marry their second and third cousins. Yes, and even, it doesn't even have to be, it, very few are second cousins. But third cousin is quite common, but like my, a few of my nieces have married their third cousin, their twice third cousin, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Coming from. Both, yeah. 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 So, so with that, even if they're not, if they're distantly related, back in the great-grandparents' time, they were already cousins. Right. And then said, you know... That's not many lineage down from specific cousin-cousin. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's not very far for the gene pool to get nice and strong and, and spread out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Um, why do you think that is? That they Is it just to preserve a lineage that they feel is, for lack of a better word, pure? So they stay within... They're familial. I mean, to be in a familial uh, relation, 
you know, intimate relation, it seems like that would somehow go against, not, I guess, God, for lack of a better word. <laughs> Although Lot slept with his daughters and had children, so, uh-huh. so it's... Okay, okay, uh, uh, behind all part of that is, I was taught, which we were taught back then, if you're born Amish, then, then you make the Amish culture a religion. So if you're born Amish, you have to stay Amish, and you just might get to heaven. Mm-hmm. But you really don't know, but you might. So, oh, it's no guarantee. No. Oh. I know. Frightening. Yeah. Or is, what's the equivalent? Is it just hell for the other side of the fence? Yes. Yeah, okay. No middle ground. No middle ground. Yeah. No. Okay, and and so with... But, okay, that's what, what they used to preach, to teach. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't do that as much anymore because, at least not where I came from. Because the Amish have changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, they now preach, most of them, true salvation. And it doesn't matter if you're Amish or not Amish. But still, that intermarriage, that marriage is highly valued. Because you are never expected to divorce and remarry. And with that Amish culture, everybody knows how to work hard, mm-hmm. how to make money, how to save money, how to do well without government funding and any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And and that so most parents are just more comfortable if their children marry within the culture, mm-hmm. and that's greatly encouraged. <coughs> and to them, the gene pool, genetics. Well, if there's a little person or a, a cripple, you know, a deformed, it's all God's will. We'll just take it. Right. So they don't actually ostracize you. It just makes you feel different, and they don't have the same expectations, perhaps? I mean, were you expected to marry as a little person, or did they think, oh, you know? No, back then, uh, it was, it all depends in, in the neighborhood you're in. And, well, see, was for me, I think it's more personal, because we were very poor Amish people. My dad didn't know how to work to be not like Amish did. <laughs> well, he grew up and his, his grandma had him in a little village. She took and she never taught him how to work. Uh, and then, but it's also in the church genetics, not to like physical work. Okay. Yeah, we do well in the office. We do well in the thing with your mind. Yeah. But the physical, yeah, we don't. Okay. Well, there's quite a few engineers in my family. Oh, okay. Because of because we're trips. Yeah. I understand. I do think that sort of thing is genetic. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so so we kept moving around all the time as a, a child. We changed school after school after school. And along with that, we were never anybody's children in school. Mm. And we never made friends very long because we had to move again. We didn't move that far, but just out of the neighborhood. Enough. I mean, that's enough for any kid. Yeah. So, so that, and then it was nothing in, for me to be like, look at that little runt, or something like, because I was 
different. Different. Yeah. Do you, uh, is your sibling older or younger? Well, uh, I'm the fourth out of twelve. Whoa, that's a lot of children. Yeah, mom had twelve children. And then the second youngest one was also a little person. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay. And did you bond with, is that a boy or girl? Your, it was a girl. A girl, your sister? Yes. Yeah. Yes, we bonded. Yeah. Is she still with us? No, she just passed away. Oh, I'm sorry. Two months ago. Oh my gosh. Sorry. Yeah. And then along with that, I, I guess I'm just going to grab a tracks, but... Yes. <laughs> I we, often do. <laughs> <laughs> we, back then, or even, we little people start dying off at the age of 35. Because mm. we were born with some health issues. It's not so much anymore, and yet, maybe it is. Because my mother had a cousin, that, a little person, that was 88. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that's old is. for anyone. It is. Yeah. And especially for her. Yeah. Not old, but I mean, that's a good life. Yeah. I think. My 86-year-old father would say, that's not old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? He's, you know, I think 108 would be more suitable. But yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tight-knit family? With the 12 of you, with the 12 kids, were the children all very close? Or I mean, that's a big span, so I imagine the eldest children and the youngest children didn't really know each other as well. Well, that I found out years later, that the, the memories and the conceptions that we older ones had are nothing compared to what the young... I mean, there's oh. two, two different... Stories? Yes. Yeah. And that's simply because of where, when or where we were born in the family. Sure. And I never really found out much about the middle ones because they were neither the older ones nor the younger ones. Mm -hmm. Do you stay in contact with them? Yes. Okay. Yes. And your parents are both passed? They both passed. Yeah. yeah. So you grew up in this culture that already you were considered different but you would be considered different to the outside world as well, the non-Amish as a little person, right? So when did, did it make a difference to be in, in such a tight-knit community, even though you were moving around a lot, to be different because you're already within a culture that is, I would say, more family-oriented and more, and that's my perception. I don't know if it's right or yeah, not. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so does that, uh, do you feel okay. like your upbringing maybe would have been completely different had you been raised in this outside world? I actually do, because yeah. what I discovered, and see, that was our close culture with our Amish religion. Everybody that was not Amish was out there and was in the world and was doing worldly things and they were the bad people and we were the good people. Mm. Okay, so I always figured that compared to what I went through I can't imagine what the world will do to me. Because mm. they're worse than we are. But much to my surprise, it was the totally different. When I stepped out there very carefully, everybody was much more accepting of me. Fascinating. It is. I mean, it's, it was the total opposite than what I was taught and what I thought it would be. Hmm. Do you think that what you were taught was a means to control you then? Yes. Yeah. Well, it's the means to control all Amish people. So at what point did you say to yourself, um, I'm going to stick this little, that, that fan is rather loud. I want to make sure that we have a good Oh, but you can turn it. I can turn it off. Oh, okay. I'll do that. <coughs> it's, uh, and open the door. I mean, if you get too hot. Okay. 
Just turn, it's the air conditioner. This part? Yeah, turn yeah. it over to the zero. Perfect. Do you want me to open the door? Yeah. It's a yeah. beautiful day. I never thought about, you know, turning that fan off. Oh, it's okay. I didn't want to ask because it's so nice and cool in here. <laughs> <laughs> that might help to, um, with the sound. Uh, oh, now I've lost my question. So, oh, yes. At what point did you say to yourself, you know, geez, Katie, maybe... Maybe these people don't know what they're talking about. I mean, you must have come to that at a relatively young age, and you just, you know, our self-awareness starts to develop at a young age, and then you have on top of that this feeling of being different. So where did it, where did it all come to the culmination of this might not be the life for you? It was um, a very gradual process because at the age of twenty-four. I left the Ohio where I was born and raised and I moved up to Ontario, Canada mm. because there was a, an Amish church up there and also they had like, uh, they were publishing magazines mm -hmm. and books and I moved up there because, see at that point I was still, because mom told me that if you're born Amish you have to be Amish and you might get to heaven. So I purposely I'm going to be Amish all my life. But I, w I wanted a more consistent Amish. What do you mean by that? Well, when you meet your Amish rules, and in Ohio, you did them if you wanted to, and if you didn't want to, you didn't. But then you would go to confession, or, you know, make church confession. Huh? Mm -hmm. And so that, so you, so that were bad Amish, not the Amish. <laughs> I was a good Amish person. You were good? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's, so I went up there because when they made the rules, you didn't. You didn't ask questions. You just did it. But if, then it was also the, the job. I got a job up there. And that at least exposed me to more Amish people, to different, and some different thinking. Mm -hmm. But that lasted for 13 years. In Ontario? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and what, and I was also looking for the truth. With a capital T? Yes, with a capital T. Yeah. And and, and it was, uh, there was lots and lots of things that I learned up there that were very, very good for me because I stepped out of my, my tight, constricted life. And I know that most of it happened in Ohio because mom wanted to protect me. And, but I, I couldn't go, I couldn't get further in life because I was under that protection of, well, suppose you're going to get kidnapped. Hmm. Or, you know, and, and I just, I, I just literally stepped out and I left. But they knew that I was leaving. It was not something I ran. That must have taken a lot of courage. It did. I mean, and yet I, I, I first made friends of and did some correspondence, and then, mm -hmm. you know, was, was the, okay, so I was up there for 13 years, and I realized that there's more in life than, I was still empty. Mm. So the religion wasn't filling you up, as yeah, religions yeah. sometimes do. It, but this one, it, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. But then, while I was up there, uh, 
a group started. It was actually the, the bishop and a few other people that there's more. So the, we moved down to Cookville, Tennessee. Really? In a 200-acre farm. You and this group from Ontario? Uh, just a few from Ontario, but then other people joined us from... Because we were... Then we became an English-speaking church. As and opposed it, to the Germanic? Yeah, because so that these outside... What you call the outsiders... They can join us. Oh, interesting. Because when we were up in Canada, the magazines that we published it drew a lot of people wanting the Amish life. Mm. Who weren't necessarily born into it? No, mean? they were not really born into it. Oh, wow. But they had to learn two, two different languages. Like the, the German that we use in church and our dialect that we speak. And it was just such a Almost, that's where almost nobody stayed. I mean, they were there for a while, and they left again. Like an Amish commune, kind of? Well, it, it was more of a, like a commune, but yet it was, each one of us had our own houses. Mm-hmm. We shared the land, we shared the farm machine, we, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. But we spoke English. Mm-hmm. And it really didn't matter so much how you dressed, mm. as long as you dressed plain. It didn't have to be everything just so-so and and that we ended up in six years time five different groups that we would that people came that fast and then but okay. in all of that the the leader that who was the bishop he he we first I went with them because he said we're going to Seek the truth. We're going to know it. It's going to be in the Bible. Well, that's what I was looking for. And it didn't turn out that way. Six years later, they went back into a circle. So you were back where you started? Yeah. In, in your mentally, mind? In yeah, in your mind. Yeah. And I left. Did, end up, did other people find their truth on this journey, do you think? Some of them did. Yeah. And some of them actually did after the whole thing dispersed. Truth is a very individual thing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So how old were you at this point? Six years gone by. Okay, I was... 13 years on top of 24 was 37. I was 40 then, 41. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, but I didn't leave until I was about 43. Because at, at that point, I didn't know where in the world to go. What was it you were looking for, do you think? What, what was the epiphany you were seeking? Christ in me. Born again. Mm. And it, it happened down there in Tennessee, but only after... Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Neighbors. <laughs> only after I, I, I realized that church and preachers have never helped me. They never will help me. I'm finished with them. Mm-hmm. And that whole mindset left. And then I didn't have any church. I had no, in my heart, I didn't have no church and no preacher. I had nothing. It's a very dark place to be, I think, after a lifetime of feeling... Oh, yes. Yeah. And But, three, but about three days later, 
Christ was born in my heart. I got born again. Isn't it interesting that it was three days? <laughs> no. It was kind of fascinating. And I didn't know what was happening, but I knew that I changed. Suddenly, I, I had a whole different outlook in life and a perspective, but I didn't know. And then... And this is after you left the church, after everything. After... No, I was still there in Tennessee. Yeah, but you, you had eschewed the religion yet? You had. Yeah, after I eschewed the religion. Yeah. Isn't that so interesting? It's almost like you have to... Well, you know, the metaphor of to die and be born again. You know, the hero's journey, the dark night of the soul, feeling like you can't, you're completely empty and go through your own metaphorical death only to be reborn. You are saying it exactly right. You are saying it exactly right. It's beautiful. It is. And and when I was born again, I I became like this was God. But I was afraid it's just, it's not going to last. But it did. But then after that, I, a year or so later, I, I, I just left. And I, I went back up to Ohio. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go because I was finished with church. But I still thought you had to have church. But I didn't want it. It's a lot of indoctrination to, to shuck off, right? To, <laughs> to remove out of half of your... And it, it took, took. But, but my cousin that lived in upstate New York, she and her husband had a family of nine children. And she said, Katie, we've got a guest house in our backyard. Stay with us as long as you want to. So I, I went up there just for a place to be. Mm-hmm. And I stayed up there in that guest house for six years. Wow. And that's when I came, then I came down here to Florida. How did your parents feel about, were they still alive when you made that conscious decision to leave the church? They were. Well, uh, the, the Amish church, they were. Well, actually, they were relieved because I am the seventh of 12 children to leave the Amish, the last one. Of all their children? Of the, yeah. Wow. It's six of, they, half of them have already left. But I was the the weird one. I was the different one. I was, because not only was I born different, I acted different. I went down to Tennessee and I was, I know it could have easily turned into a cult, but I left before it did and the leader left, died before it happened. So it didn't turn into a cult. But it was, they were just relieved. When I left there, but I fit it in less than ever in every place. Hmm. And I still had to live and I still had to be somewhere. But my parents were at least glad that I'm not down there in Tennessee anymore. Because I had given my money, I'd given my everything. Mm. Although I got it back. Mm. At least without interest, but I got it. Yeah. And uh, then when my cousin said, Well, come here and stay with us. And they were like a group of Mennonites that had left the Amish. Mennonites were the stricter of the two, religiously? Or less strict? Or just different? Different. Just different. Okay, Okay. they are stricter in their religion. Okay. But then they're more liberal in what they allow. They can drive? Yeah. They can drive and they don't have to have the beard, right? Yeah. Okay, and 
Which are the ones that wear the lace on top of their head? Is that those were the men at night that I was with? Okay. Because there's two different color lace, right? There's black and there's white, and then the Amish have the white bonnets and sometimes the black lace. Yeah. The, they're starting to have the black lace, but um, the ones that wear the black lace and dress drive vehicles or so, those are the Mennonites. Okay. What does the white lace mean? Uh, for them, it's black or white is okay. Oh, okay. So it's just either way. Yeah. That's so how they show their colors. <laughs> <laughs> That's their rainbow. Um, and then what are the white bonnets versus the, the lace? They'd... Okay, usually the white bonnets... And then it also depends on how the white bonnets are made. Oh. It determines if th- this is an Amish one. And because there are lots of Mennonites that wear the white bonnets too. But they're made differently. Yes, they're made differently. I always find that so fascinating that at the end of the day, everyone's pointing toward the same place, and yet they find all these ways to be different from each other instead of unified, instead of saying, hey, your bonnet's cool, my bonnet's cool too, not your bonnet's different. My bonnet's different, so we're different. You know what I mean? It's, yes. It seems to miss the whole point. That's why I love the expression, the temple of God is within you, because all that extra stuff isn't the thing. You know, it's it's how you carry your heart through the world. You know, it's how, that's the blessing to exactly. me. You know? well, and, that's, and that's the way it is. Yes. Okay, so, so I was, and then after being up there in New York for six years. I uh, spent one winter down in Honduras. Honduras? Being wow. like a... You are a world traveler. Okay. A, a school teacher. Okay. I mean, just... Like, it, it, there was a missionary family down there that taught their... All the children that they took care of taught them English in their school vacation time, which happened to be winter time down there. Mm-hmm. Now, are they teaching them... Amish ways, so like to try and get the Honduras, they're just teaching them in general. Yeah, well, they were... So not quite a missionary, but more like uh, a mission of just... Yes. Yeah, okay, got yes. it. Okay, and when I was down a there... A humanistic mission instead of a maybe religious... There was some religion to it, but not oh, okay. very strong. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and then I realized down there that, hey, you don't have to be up north in the wintertime. <laughs> too cold. Yeah. Too much. And then the next winter I come down here to Florida I went up to New York again because that was considered my home then yeah but I went but then that was in 02 was the first time I came down here in Florida and so in, I've been in the winter in the winter mm-hmm. and I came and left no but then in 08 after my dad passed away I came down here to stay and because uh, I was tired of going back and forth and and this is you know, it was all of my wandering arounds. Excuse me. Yeah. With all this wandering around. Uh, okay, I lost my stuff. You were talking about after your dad passed and you were going to go back to New York and you enjoyed the heat of the yeah, and winter here. Okay, because um, when I was there, I, I stayed for 10 months with my dad. Mm-hmm. Before he passed. Before he passed. Mm-hmm. And during one time during that 10 months, I came back down here just for vacation. And I was down here, and I realized that I'm just biking the streets. I said, Katie, this feels like home. This is where you belong. And I knew that someday 
I'm going to come back to live. But I didn't know when because my dad was still doing well. That was like in June. And then in end of July, it just started. Mm. And by the first week in September, he passed away. And I came back down in November, and I've been a resident ever since. And it is truly, it is where I belong. It is where I feel at home. But by the time, when I went up to my dad, that was the dividing factor of going to church, not going to church. When you were with your father? It, well, just in that transition of oh. moving up. And it was also the, the, the side of that I'm going to take that covering off my head. It doesn't make any sense at all. And I'm going to be me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. And I, by that time, I did not receive a lot of resistance because I had gradually made that and I was even much plainer, still plainer because I want to be, not because I'm trying to come. It's just me. But then most of my sisters were and and so I was very, very accepting as far as being in a part of the family. Talk about the the dressing plain because I, I know that's a part of the Amish belief that it it's eschewing uh, vanity, right? That that's a big no no to be vain. Yes. Um, why why is wearing clothing that is bright or how is that connected with vanity? It's just one in. Other than like uh, you know, if I buy a wildly printed shirt, it's just because I'm feeling festive that day. Is that vanity? You know what I mean? It is it. it is it the vanity goes so far as you know, not a lot of mirrors or you know that kind of thing. And okay, that 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 is only in the very the most conservative Amish groups anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ones that come down here, anything that's a solid color goes. Okay. So the snowbird, Amish, yes, <laughs> which makes me giggle. I love that expression. <laughs> the snowbird Amish, they um, they're a lot uh, looser. They're they're not they're not very okay. Yeah, yeah, they're a lot looser. And so I was the community already here then. The Amish and you sought it out, or was it just a coincidence that you ended up living in a part of town that was so greatly Amish? Like if, you know, uh, I I chose populated. to come here because. Um, Okay, it back back in my Amish days, not in Ohio, but in up in Canada. Pinecraft down here, or this part of it, was looked at like this is Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> you come down here and party. You like, yes. <laughs> okay, and then and then when I first came down here, I came down here. I was a Mennonite with a black or a white toilet on my head. But, I, but, and they're much more out to change people and evangelize. And Which, the Mennonites? Yeah, mm-hmm. too. And so my perspective at that was uh, maybe I can help save them. They understand them. Save them from themselves? Yeah, from okay. Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> That's cool. So you came down here with the express. You thought I'm gonna come and help them be more Amish because they're they're well, losing their way. At least get them saved. Yeah. And that's why I I got a free ticket to come down here because I asked my deacon up in New York 
if I could come to Florida. Well, what do you want? What, what purpose? And I told him, and he said, go. Do you need money? Well, I didn't need money, but I came. But I didn't realize. I mean, I was in for such a total, total surprise. Because I'm saying it carefully. The Amish don't like it. That when they come down here, they leave their religion at home up north. And they do come down here. And they do what they want to do. Some of them don't want to do anything different, but some of them do. But they are who they are. And once you are who you are... You can't go back. You can't go back. And your real self comes out. And, but there's no pressure, or very little, to conform, to be like other people are. It's like Irma across the street from here. She's a Mennonite, but she was a little Amish girl. And she had, her parents moved down here when she was seven years old. And she's already up in her 70s now. But her concept of, of people of Amish is so completely different. She was taught that you don't have to agree with everybody. Let them live, but just love them. Hmm. That seems like a nice way to be. Oh, it is. So she never had all that baggage, that religious baggage, that cultural baggage mm-hmm. that we have from the North. And That's Florida for you. <laughs> it is. And, and it's all along the West Coast. It's for other cultures, too. Huh. Interesting. So I'm curious, when you had that epiphany after the three days where you said goodbye to the to the church and then finally felt God in your heart, what did that feel like to you? What? Like, how did you know? What, what was the moment? Okay, the, like, that first day when it started, I, I said, okay... I was, church has never helped me, the preachers have never helped me, they never will, I'm finished. And all of that rolled away like a cloud of dust, and I had nothing. Everything in me just plain died. But, and I, and I didn't care, and yet, in the back of my mind thought, I mean, maybe someday I'll be connected with God. But I had no idea how, or what, or any of that. And that was day two, day three. And then on Sunday, we had communion services. And I went. But, uh, but that morning, it seemed that God spoke to my heart. He said, Katie, if you take part in communion, I'm going to cut you off forever. Because when we take communion, we're supposed to be in the right relationship with God. And it was like, you know that you have no relationship with me whatsoever. And I thought about that because it would be so easy just to go along. And... But when, when that happened, I, I thought, and I said, okay, God, I won't take part. I mean, what, the only thing I knew that morning was Katie is not a liar. She will not take part. And but I still went to church, and we were, each member went separately to the two preachers, and, and they asked us if we want to take part in communion. 
And when when it was my turn, I said no. It was like they couldn't believe it. So I was always up front, and they said, uh, and I said, no. Well, why not? And I said, I'm cut off from God. What did you do? I don't know. I didn't do anything. I don't know. Well, then take part. I said, no. We went through that thing three times. There was another three times. And by that time, I was crying. Because I, I was supposed to confess and I, why I'm cut off, and I didn't know why I'm cut off. And finally, the bishop just said, okay, I guess you know better than we do. You don't have to take part. Okay, so that was... So I went back to my seat, and I just started crying and crying and crying. And I was like, oh no, you can't cry here. And everybody knew what to do with my life. And, but I couldn't help myself. I was shaking and I was crying. And <clears throat> as soon as the service was over, I beelined for the door and I went home. And I looked in the mirror and all I could see was red slits where my eyes were. And I cried some more. And, but finally, toward the evening, I quit crying, and it was like I'm sort of standing in front of God, but, but there was something in my heart that was just as heavy as bricks. And out of that came the realization that I'm lost because I'm a born sinner. Mm -hmm. It's Adam and Eve's fault. They did the sinning. But I am responsible and accountable for myself. And I thought that through. And I said, yes, God, it's true. But I didn't know what to do with it. And so that I just lost it. I said, God, I can't help that I'm a born sinner, but will you forgive me? And all that popped out of my heart. It was gone. And I was like, this was God. And it never went away. <laughs> That's beautiful. It is, but you know, I, like I said, I did, the, the church, the people decided I was having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> because I was all that crying and, and I, I didn't care I decided that huh, there's a nervous breakdown it's a good thing because it whatever it was freed me from myself it freed me from well it made me a child of God but before that I had been seeking the truth for 30 years mm. At the age of 10, I had started asking mom questions. How do you get to heaven? Is that? You take a left at Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, she doesn't know. Yeah. At least she didn't try and feed me. She just said she doesn't know. Did you go to your father, too, for religious questioning? Was that not done? It was not done. Okay. And then I asked my mom. That's when I asked my mom, well, why are we Amish? 
And that's when she said, you have to be Amish, you have to stay Amish, you just might get to heaven. Well, if that was the only... Those, all of that stuff didn't satisfy me. But I purposed there that I'm going to know the truth, it's going to be in the Bible, and I'm going to be Amish. Okay, so that was my journey for 30 years. Until I laid aside that Amishness, that religion, all religion had to go. Everything I was trusting in had to go. But I left, after about a year later, I left the community, not knowing. Because in that year's time, see, I didn't know that was the new birth. But, I, but the Bible opened up. I could understand much more. And I realized that I'm going this direction, and the, most of the people are in this direction. And so I, I, I basically slipped out of the community and left. But, uh, but the one good th- a lot of good things up there in New York, I was not pressured. I was with the Mennonite, but I was not pressured in anything. I was hungry, and, and they were preaching much more truth. And it was there that I realized that what happened back down there in Tennessee was not a nervous breakdown. It was the new birth. Okay, so at least I... Yeah. And, and my life ever since that time has just simply been a steady... a, a growing... My life is like an onion. Mm-hmm. You, layer after layer after layer comes off. What do you consider yourself now, if you were to put a word on it? Are you just just Katie? <laughs> well, Katie, when people a child ask, of God? <laughs> when people ask me, I say I'm just me. Yeah. Because I. Do you go to church? No, I don't. Okay. Right. And uh, because it seems like the community knows you well, I ran into Joseph. No, Josiah. No, Joseph Miller. Jonas. Jonas. I knew it was a J name. Jonas Miller was very kind to direct me to you. He he seemed shy about talking to me, you know, but he directed me to you. Um, and he seemed fully in the regalia, so I assumed that he was Amish, you know, yeah. with a capital A. Uh-huh. Uh, um, so clearly you have friends in the community. They don't have a problem with you not being, quote-unquote, one of the flock. No. And, and all of that took time, too, and yet... When I was start do- coming down here, I said, Katie, shut up and listen. Hmm. I mean, don't talk unless your aunt, people ask you questions. Was that preservation, you think? It was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it was just like, and, and so it was a gradual, just a very, and I was in the back, on the back burner for, until about 2010. Back burner, meaning in the shadows? <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, in the shadows. Mm-hmm. And I was okay with it. Mm-hmm. I had my, my little camera strapped to my waist, and I was on the bike, and I would just sneak pictures. And almost nobody ever found it out. Taking pictures of Amish and Mennonites, yeah. yeah. Which, they're not big on photographs, right? Same idea that it's vanity? Yes. I mean, um, okay, but... but Painting's okay. But that, that's... It. The idea, but when, but what changed that down here? Um, one Amish guy, and see the Amish. Most of the Amish down here don't really think Amish. Mm. They're down. They're here. They're Amish because they want to. They want to be Amish, but you don't have to be Amish. Mm. And so there was one uh, single guy that worked here at Yoder's restaurant, 
and he was uh, and the group there asked him to put out a little magazine it was called the, the Pinecraft Pauper and it had just some Pinecraft stories and stuff and he asked me if he could use my photos how did he know that you just people knew that you took pictures well he was one of the few that did Oh, okay. See, I connected with a few here and there. And it was like... Your um, pictures are stunning. I saw some of them on online. Thank They're you. really beautiful. But, uh, and I said, yeah. Because I decided I might as well come out of the woodwork. And so he got these little magazines. It was just last of the year. Every two weeks. And he had some boxes put up where you put the magazines in and then a slot where you put in your money. Mm -hmm. And the people couldn't wait to see what pictures are in there, mm. what stories are in there. Mm -hmm. And so by that time, everybody knew that. And they were delighted with it. Yeah, They were absolutely delighted with it. There's a few, not none that ever was in the magazine, but not that I, every, there's about once a year, somebody tells me that, please don't take my picture. Mm. And I, I won't if they personally come and ask me. Sure. But I said, I won't aim for you, but you happen to be in a group. And they say, that's okay. Yeah. Okay, so it's that way. But uh, So you've become a documentarian of this society here. Yes. By default. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and now, I mean, just this past year... Um, the, cult, the historical culture archives, or whatever you call it, up in Tallahassee. What's my photos? Yeah. They said nobody has ever documented this area like you have. Nobody has ever done it. Hmm. So that's one of my projects this winter, this summer. It's exciting. It is. Yeah. But, but every, I mean, now people expect me to take pictures. Does that take away from the um, magic of it a little bit when there's an anticipatory element instead of you sort of sneaking in and, and taking them when they're not looking? You know, Well, I still wait to take them until they're not aware that I'm there. Yeah. Because that makes the best ones. I don't like people posing. Yeah. Especially not Amish because they're just not natural. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like being uh, smaller than, you know, the average height get, allows you to get these vantage points and maybe sneak some pictures that you might not have been able to get? Or do you think I it makes think you so. stand out more? Well... Or both, maybe. I mean... I think both. You know. Because I, at, at first when my pictures start going public, like uh, on my blogger, and people start... You know, well, I'm just liking them. And I didn't know why, because... And they said, well, Katie, look at the position that you're taking those pictures. It's your perspective. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, well, okay. Because I take everything from the, <laughs> the bottom up. Yeah, it's very the, unique. And, yeah. uh... Where, so, do you have a website where all these are? I just did a Google search, and, of course, all these images came up, but do you have a specific... I have, like, a... Almost every day it's on, uh... Pinecraft Sarasota Blogspot. Okay, Pinecraft Sarasota Blogspot. Yeah. That's the title of it? Dot .com or dot .org or something? Uh, let me see. And I'll put, it, I'll put a link on my website too. But. 
Okay, and then I am on Facebook too. Oh, you are? I've got lots of photos on there. What's your Facebook name? Katie Troy. Okay, just your name. T-R-O-Y-E-R. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, actually, there used to be more on uh, Facebook, but lately they're not because uh, the blog spot goes much further. Sure. I mean, it, it's usually in about eight or ten countries. That's exciting. And I don't know, Facebook might be too. That, but there you have to ask to be a friend and all that. Yeah, that's true. Anna. Yeah. Huh. So, wow, what a journey. Did you, did you ever marry? No. Is that by you just decided? Well, that's interesting. Uh, I had dated. Okay, there was, an, uh, there was one more other little young man. About three years younger than I. A little person? A little person. Okay. Mm-hmm. And one day he wrote me a letter and asked me for a date. And everybody thought that, of course you will, because you're both little. <laughs> you know, I dated a few times, but it never felt right. My guts never felt right. Yeah. And, well, I know now that I was going one direction and... Mm. But and finally, I decided that I don't want it. But then, when I moved down to Tennessee, there were a lot of the single men that came. Okay, here it is. Oh, okay. Pinecraft Sarah. Let's see. So, Pinecraft Sarasota blogspot.com. Yeah. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, there was a lot of uh, older single men that came there. And I could have been one of their wives. Or, I mean, I could have been a wife to one of them. Yeah, different sentence, by the way. <laughs> Goodness, yeah. the Amish are getting more exciting every day. <laughs> no wonder they have so many reality TV shows. It, it was just... But, you know, I, I, did, I knew that if, if one of them asked me to marry him, it would be because they can't. There's nobody else available for them. And I didn't want to be that wife. Sure. So instead of smiling back, I frowned at them. <laughs> Way <laughs> <Yeah>. to own it. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't. Yeah. And you have a fulfilling life, obviously. Very much so. And even at the, a very young age, like the age of 10 or so, when I envisioned my life as an adult, it was always living in a little house by yourself. That always was. That resonated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm looking back, well, why not? I absolutely love it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm in the village here, and I realize that I'm everybody's friend, or everybody. Mm-hmm. People take care of me. That I never knew that. Not that they're doting on me or all that, but if there's a need, mm-hmm. they're there. Mm-hmm. And of course, with that, I learned that don't you ever find fault with these people. Let them be who they are because you want to be who you are. Yeah. I read um, online yesterday that the Amish communities are growing by quite a lot every year. They've gone up 35%, 40%, 25%. And I found that pretty fascinating. And I wonder with the chaos, for lack of a better word, of the outside world encroaching ever so slightly but you know still encroaching into these communities do you think it's going to make for a a bigger upheaval and 
more people leaving, or do you think it's going to strengthen the borders, as it were? And That's a very interesting question. Okay, the, the, the growing part is the amount of children. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of kids. Yeah. Yeah. And that that is more in the more, it's, I think, the, the conservative, the more conservative Amish. They still have, like, 10 and 12 and 14 children. But the groups that that are now what, where I was with, six at the most. Mm-hmm. So, but, but the other thing about leaving or going, it's, they're very slow, but they do accept modern technology if there's no way out of it as far as making a living. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And I remember, uh, it was like, eight years ago, maybe seven, when the cell phones came out, the flip phones. Mm -hmm. It was, people started getting them, the Amish, but they kept it hidden. Because that type of phone, you can't. And like here in Pinecraft, you very seldom saw a, a flip phone. Because even my sister, who had one, but her children that are not Amish got it for her. Hmm. And she was on her way down from the bus, and she said, Katie, don't you call me. Well, I'm on the bus. I'm not going to answer the phone. And here, down here, two men, Amish men, were walking toward each other on the sidewalks. Both of them had a phone. One of them shut it off so it wouldn't ring. And the other one didn't. And when they were standing there visiting, the other one's phone rang. Well, I mean, it was more that way. And and the church, the churches up north, really tried to to not let those phones in. Mm. But the Ohio ones, they uh, they gave up. I mean, they they now have the flip phones. The the younger couples have people have the iPhones or whatever, but just the flip phones with no camera and stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, generations, though. I mean, it must be really, especially in a family where you have 12 children, as you move on down the line through the children, the youngest are going to have a completely different worldview, even in a tight-knit community like that, where you don't get a lot of outside influence. It seems like an impossibility not to have some of it seep through. Especially, as you mentioned before, now camera crews are coming to document the way of life of the Amish and then Uh editing it to make it salacious or whatever. Yeah. I am curious, though. So you never married, but I I assume, um, you know, your, your mother had the sex talk and all that stuff. Within that culture, it's very specific to husband and wife. Right, no shenanigans outside of that marriage, um, and with this close knit community, I mean, is there a greater instance of maybe like child abuse or anything like that? Do you know, or is it just like everywhere else, people are going to be that way or not that way? Well, okay, when I in my growing up years, there never was any of that thing in my family that I know of, never, but. They never talked about sex. There was no education, no nothing. You just show up on the wedding night and good luck kind of thing. Well, so a few did. Yeah. I mean, by that time, you know, mom used to talk with the girl or so. Yeah. 
but but not in in our group. And okay, and then so that's the way we grew up. But then when my my sisters that got married, uh, a few of them they made no secret to their little children that she's pregnant and all that. Even uh, like uh, my my oldest, the one sister had her oldest child. She was barely talking, and her daddy was laying on the floor, you know, playing with her. And she went and patted his stomach and said, "Baby." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that has, but it probably was always there, but we didn't know it. The the molesting, yeah. the. The incest and stuff like that. Yeah. But but we as a family, I yeah. don't know. Right. But I meant as the Amish groups as a whole. I mean, because it sort of it calls that to mind and think about closed groups. Well, you mentioned cult-like activity, things like that. I think anytime anyone thinks about offshoot religions, that, that sort of stuff pops in your brain. But, I mean, that's just a fact of life. In the outside world, abuse against children is... There's, it's huge statistically, right? There's a lot of violence against children. Yes. So I'm just, I'm, I'm always curious about these insular religious groups, if it is somehow safe from that, or if it would be worse. No, you know? they're, they're not. And I'm finding out that maybe, but maybe it's not. I mean, some of the, the most conservative Amish, the most ignorant Amish, have the highest rate of incest and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And yet, I can't say that because it's in the Mennonites too, and it's true. I it's, think it's in humankind. Yes. Yeah. But but it is. It's still those. You can almost depend on it if they're insist on being the plainest of plain people, even if they don't have to be. They've got some of that. Mm-hmm. So, you were speaking of the ignorant people. I read also online, so I don't know if it's true or not, um, that education for the Amish stops in eighth grade, ish. Uh, it does, but and that's because they don't want people talking back or <laughs> like not knowing things. No, and it's starting a, to get curious. <clears throat> I mean, that, that's the education that they they have to have because of the state. Uh. But, like in Ohio, with see, there was the phones, and now they've got a lot of them know how to run the in the, the computer, because with all the little businesses that they have, home businesses, mm. they used to go to the phone shack and order their stuff, and it would be delivered. But before many years would pass. They want to order it online. Well, then they had to hire. Then somebody would be hired to take care of quite a few mm. little businesses and do that computer work. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. And that became obsolete for some reason. And now they do have computers at home. Some of these business people, but it's supposed to be staying out in the shop or. I don't see any. See, that's the thing. That's the outside world encroaching on these on these secu- you know, sex. That just uh, 
how do you you can't keep the outside world out when progress quote unquote keeps developing when it's hard to get something that you need without going online it seems you know specific things you know? exactly and but before they they say yes first of all they fight about it <laughs> for about five or six years <clears throat> and then but before they finally say yes they, they they sit down and they look at the whole scope of it yeah okay what is this going to do right how are we going to make a living or if we allow it <clears throat> what is going to happen sure and there's not a line drawn from this is an invention of man that was inspired by God. I mean can they not make that in some way uh the connection that it's brought by God, if God is omnipotent and is in control of all things, or do they put that on the devil? Do you know? I mean, that's <laughs> it's a complicated question. Okay, no. So many, at, at first, all of those new inventions are from the devil. Ah. But after a space and seeing what happens, uh-huh. they take it away from the devil and say, Give it back to the, God. Yeah, or yeah. See, it God's like, hey man, my idea. It can be a good thing. <laughs> it does. It, I mean, that it happens. Yeah. It's almost about everything that they decide. You know, it was down to electric. I mean, to a, a power lawnmower. Oh. Rather than a push lawnmower. Sure. Or, all of those things are carefully. I wonder where the tipping point is, where it gets to go from Satan to God. You know, and then suddenly it's okay. <laughs> People are just exhausted on a 110 degree weather day pushing their push mower and suddenly they think, you know, maybe it was God that invented the electric lawnmower. <laughs> and, and after watching some of their neighbors that have it, it never really harmed anybody. Yeah. It never made anybody want to go get a vehicle or a car, or, you know. Yeah. It is always, where is this thing going to lead us? They give the 24-hour locust warning period after you mow your lawn with the electric. If the locusts don't come, it's probably okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no frogs, no, no burning sores. Then yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, and take for instance the bicycles. At least mm -hmm. I'm talking about Ohio. Yeah. That there's some groups that still do not have any bikes at all. Yeah. But so if you so either you have to walk, or get a taxi, or you're supposed to use your horse and buggy. Well. When people got off the farms, there are not many farms anymore. The women did not learn how to use horses. Mm. So the men went out working, and the only option the woman had was get a driver. And, and with that, you know, some said, okay, let the women have bikes, too. Let them have bikes. And then now, after... 20, 30 years, the, the battery bikes are starting to come in. And those, and I know those hills that they, so more and more of the... Electric bikes, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. The three-wheel, and even the, the, the regular electric, yeah. So those are really making progress in Ohio. Okay. Because it's a mode of transportation that you don't have to have a horse. Mm-hmm. And it gets you places. Mm -hmm. And I don't. And I know that the cutting off line between being Amish or not Amish is if you have a vehicle like a car or a truck, mm. you are not Amish. It doesn't matter if you look Amish or not. You are not Amish. 
and that will probably always stay there. That that's the cutting off. So interesting for all Amish groups. Now, there's a few Mennonite groups that call themselves Amish, but the Amish will say, "No, you're not Amish because you have a car." Mm. Gosh, I find it all so fascinating. You know, <laughs> just human beings are yeah vastly different and yet so similar. And to me, the thing is, that in the end, it won't matter. That's right. Absolutely. I mean, it matters in this life. But as far as once you die or enter, it it won't matter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, you can't take it with you. So all the stuff you've accumulated, all the money earned, all of that is of little consequence. But I think where your heart has been your whole life, because that leaves a lasting impression. Yes. Unless you're a Rockefeller and then people are just like, oh... You always associate a Rockefeller with money. But I think it would be much nicer to be remembered for your heart, your soul, and the good you've done, the legacy. Your legacy being a snapshot into this world that people know little about. And I do find, too, which is one of the reasons why I do this podcast, is instead of asking the question, there's just people just make assumptions. And then suddenly that's just the way it is, you know, and to me that's, that's a bummer because you're missing out on so much good and I mean, you have to, you, the dark and the light, you know, to, to hear it all and to understand that the guy, I can't truly understand anything you say based on my paradigm because I was raised completely differently, but all I can do is sit and listen and, and feel something just like you don't have my paradigm. You know, I talk about this all the time. Is we're all in it together, but we've all been brought up in this in these opposite paradigms. You know that is so. That is so true, and that is such a big part of my life. Because honestly, when I quit going to church, for there's homeless over there at the park, mm-hmm. and somehow I, I wanted to know more about them. Mm-hmm. I would bike past there for a year or two and nobody. We just sat in there. <clears throat> but something happened when I quit going to church. That opened the, that opened both of us up. And I'm friends with them. And it has been amazing. But I have learned by listening to them. No, that's one of those scammers. Ah, of which there are many. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, and the first one that, that I really became friends with was way off. He said he doesn't belong to this planet. Ooh, that's so interesting. And, and he didn't have... The, the only first th- homeless person you spoke with said this? Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. And, and, but, you know, I thought that I'll share... There's no way I could. Okay, I said, okay, kid. Shut up and listen. And I let him talk for a whole summer. Maybe two summers. And we would meet 
Because, I mean, I want to know, and he wanted just to have contact with somebody. Sure. But we never, we were never in somewhere in a secluded place or anything. Yeah. When we met, it was out here on... You felt safe. On Bay Vista, on one of those scat bus seats or so. I was always on my bike, and he was, and it was out in the public. And, of course, that alarmed some people. <laughs> but they at least could watch. But but I learned so much just by listening to his... But then he started way back into his past and mm-hmm. talked. And finally, the day came when I said, Hey, Jimmy, why don't you apply for disability? No, I can't go. I said, try it. And I gave him some, uh, you know, contact. And he got disability. Hmm. And he, he found an apartment. But... Because he the shivers. That's great. Yes. I mean, just... And if you hadn't stopped and had a conversation and stayed in it... That's the thing. It's like, when... When do you decide to see another human being as part of yourself? We're all just mirroring back at each other. You're me. I'm you. We're the same. We have different upbringings. We are from different countries, different planets in the case of Jimmy. Um, But all sometimes you need is someone to listen, to hear your story. Yes, and there are so few people that listened with their hearts. Yeah. Well, that's the only way I got out of my tight shell that I had wrapped around myself as a child. When I met uh, up in Canada those first years, suddenly I found myself just opening up. Why? And I was, what did you do, Katie? And why did you? And I realized that she took a personal interest in me. She listen with her heart she wanted she did not say yes she did not criticize one way or the other way she just simply listened and that's what broke that shell that made me an extrovert instead of an introvert (laughs) I'm still both Mm -hmm. but yes and the value of that yeah it's beautiful yes We're all in this together. <laughs> yes, we are. I mean, truly, even... I am I think I'm in pretty good touch with my shadow self, for you know, lack of another expression, and my light self. And I think when once we realize that we are all things, you know, we're able to open up to the world and, and come to it clean, come to it balanced. That is so true. And... I don't have a single secret. <laughs> I don't talk. I mean, I don't just offer a lot unless somebody asks me. Yeah, I'm glad I knocked on your door. I'm too. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but there's nothing that I've nothing in my life that I don't want any. I don't want other people to know. Your truth is a capital T. And you know, that's what I've been seeking. Yeah. And I found it. Yeah. And I think also by being a person in the world who is truth with a capital T, it allows other people to find that in themselves as well, to not be scared of that. The mirror, the reflection back, if you can do it, 
Why can't I do it? You know, I never thought of it in that terms, but that's what's happening. That has happened and is happening. Yeah. By sitting and listening to Jimmy talk in a space of love and non-judgment, you freed him in a way. You broke open his shell the way your shell was broken open, you know? Yes. And changed the trajectory. I mean, he went from being homeless to now he has an apartment. That's amazing. Yes, yes. And, and then with him, oh, you know, that, I didn't know how words, how fast words spread some of the homeless. Mm. But soon I became friends with more. And others have opened up too. Yeah. Not everybody. Do you take photographs of them? I do. Uh, I'm trying not to... Uh, but two weeks ago, the, the one that, that I became after Jimmy, very good friends with, just died. Oh, sorry. And he, uh, <coughs> he was just as honest. But, but he just died and, uh, of liver, I mean of cancer. But he had been an alcoholic since he was eight years old. And there were times when he had quit, he had a good marriage. But she died and then he he went back into his drinking. Mm. And last summer I'm gonna show you some pictures of him. Okay. But being he just died that I got some of the Did he die in a in a homeless shelter, or did he just die? No, actually, finally his um, cousin offered him a home. Oh, wow. Okay. And he actually, he died in the hospital. Oh, here okay. Here in Sarasota. Okay, oh. that, this is Jimmy here. Uh, oh, he looks like a kind man. He was, and, but what, one thing I learned is the, the intellect, the deep thinker, yeah. That he is. And nobody, not even the first time I actually saw him was, uh, or had any, was the day I met Jimmy. And the cops came out. Huh. And just in the split second, he acted like the dumbest dummy. Really? Because the cops were there? Yeah. And his defense me me mechanism? Yeah. Interesting. And they, they searched him and they even took him into jail. Huh. Was he accidentally hit Jimmy, not purposely, but uh, but still it looked like a... Okay, that's last summer. He was so sick. He would go on five-day drinking sprees. Oh. And then he... And he knew he would... <clears throat> doctors keep telling him, you can't live in it because you have to quit drinking. So he would quit for about two weeks. Yeah. Alcoholism is a powerful disease. But <clears throat> the, when we connected, he was lying down on a picnic table. I knew he was, I was biking and I said, something doesn't look right there. And the way he was acting and all that. So I decided I'm going to bike very quietly past him just to see if he's okay. And um, when I got there, he sat up and he had wet himself mm. and he was filthy and he said, okay. Does anybody care anything about me? Mm. Does anybody care anything? And he would just cry. 
Does anybody? No. Does nobody care? And and I couldn't say. Yes, we care because I couldn't make that we statement. So I said, Jimmy, I care. Okay, that's all I could say. I mean, I care. But then after that, <clears throat> whenever he was sober, and I came around, we sat and he talked and talked and talked and opened up. Mm. And then he would get, get drunk again and I would keep my distance. Yeah. But then he just, like two weeks ago, he died. There he was recovering. And then finally, he could only he could keep down with milk. Mm. But then by that time, a few of the other neighbors uh, also started reaching out to him. And at that time, when he was, one of the neighbors stayed with him for one whole night because he thought he was dying and the other neighbors thought he was dying too. Yeah. And for a while, he brought him a sandwich every morning until he was able to get back on his feet again. Yeah. Humanity. Yes. And I know that he died. Oh, there is the one that was staying with him. Oh, yeah. Um, he knew people cared. Yeah. Long before he died. That's good. Thank goodness. Uh-huh. See, that's just... Another one, and and then to top it all off, he was he knew God in a personal way. And but people, I, I don't even say that around here because they think you, if you you are drunk, you can't know God. You can't. Of course you can. I mean, we all have our. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. And it's not the performance that God looks at, but it's the relationship. Yeah. Yes. The heart. Yes. The soul. He probably did a lot of talking to God, is my guess. He did. Yeah. Man, oh man. (laughs) Stuff. (laughs) Katie, you are incredible. I'm so glad you opened the door when I knocked. Complete stranger. <laughs> well, you know, after a while, I, I was a little bit surprised too. But then I thought, oh, why not? It's a really good way to live your life. Why not? It sounds like you've been doing that your whole life. No, only uh, well, once you got to Toronto, perhaps Ontario. Yes, yes. but even at that, but was time. Wait, Toronto's in Ontario. Ontario. No. <laughs> but uh, don't mind me. No. I'm a songwriter. But, you know, just, <laughs> <laughs> I am, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, just a few years ago, see, I would hate and love winters down here. You know, it was so full and so tight and a thousand people on the street. Mm-hmm. And yet I loved it. But about two years ago, I told myself, okay, Katie, this has to quit. Either you're going to move out of Pine Graph, or else you're going to change your attitude. <laughs> mm. I didn't want to move out, so I said I'll change my attitude. How's that working out? It did. And I just, and I, in my heart, I said, I'm going to embrace every day to the fullest. And that winter went so fast. And I was out connected with people. Yeah. Every day. They just came. 
Well, sometimes I just backed up to somebody and started talking, but not nothing pre-planned. Yeah. I mean, a whole new world opened up. I love strangers. They have the best stories. Because <laughs> there's no expectation. You know what I mean? There's, there's like, it's in a way, even though you're, that's a stranger, stranger that I feel like, um, there's an openness. It's an un, untamed world. Whereas when you know somebody well, there's all these expectations on them or, or that you put on yourself in order to communicate with them. You know, the, the walls start going up or whatnot because there's stuff invested and you don't have that with a stranger. You can just say, hey, nice to meet you. What's your story? I like, okay, you're putting it in words. You're putting it in words. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yes. Yeah. Katie, thank you so much. Well, thank you for knocking on my door. Thank thank you for answering. (laughs) Thanks for being on Hey Human. And uh, I will definitely put links to your work on on my website as well to get the word out and such. Okay. And what is your website? Uh, HeyHumanPodcast.com. I'll write it down. Yeah. I want Yeah. Because uh, I definitely want Yeah. I talked to all sorts of interesting humans. Yeah. Wow. I look forward to it. There you go. Thanks for being on. Well, you're quite welcome. Anytime you're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Bye, everybody.